In our culture, there's much discussion about human trafficking or modern slavery. People are saying that there's never been so many slaves in the history of the world. Is that true? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. The movie The Sound of Freedom is driving a lot of discussion in our culture about human trafficking. Sometimes it's also called modern slavery. And they're saying that that this is a huge problem, and there is real problems there. But they're saying it's never been like this in the history of the world before. You know, the, the State Department says there's 27 million people that are being trafficked now. The are in human or in modern slavery. You know, other groups say forty million. Some say fifty million. They're they're making up these numbers, and then they're saying this is worse than it's ever been. But the reality is, through the history of the world, most people have been slaves. And so, when you look at even now, they say it's primarily in Africa is where most of the slavery is. But yet, in Africa, it used to be almost everybody was slaves in Africa. So as we Think about it, and there's pushing this discussion. How you know is it real? Is it really true that most you know that slavery is bigger now than it has ever been? Yeah, and this is something that's re- really uh, quite um, quite in, in the discourse on, in the right. You know, our our audience plus a lot of other people, but you know, people are you know especially from this new movie, Sound of Freedom, um, and and even before that, you know, in in recent years, has been quite a quite a, a topic of discussion um, and not only that it is you know this major thing that's going on but also that you know the media and you know the the, the you know government and everything are covering it up so that, you know there's there's a, there are a lot of elements to it um, and and you know it's something that I think you know a lot of people are are accepting kind of the narrative that's out there um, and, and where if you ask people like what are the big issues you know crime issues in the world they would put you know human trafficking as one of the top issues in the world um, but I think as we by the time we get to the end of this we're gonna we're gonna be questioning that pretty substantially and and even questioning you know some of the groups that are featured in the movie and, and making the movie and things like that that there's some real real concerns with this that the Christians shouldn't be just taking this in hook, line, and sinker, but there should be some, some discernment that we're using in, in, in this story that's out there. And one thing that I think we need to recognize what's going on is people are trying to scare people into thinking that their child could become a sex slave, that their child could be trafficked. But that's because they're using really loose definitions that have a lot of variableness so that they can push it on one side where it feels like it's very personal and then the reality is then they're using statistics that are that are not related to that at all. There's less less kidnapping of children now than there was when I was a child. It's gone down significantly. But yet they're acting like it's never been worse. Well, if people are thinking of sex trafficking, that, that your 10-year-old daughter could be out on the street and somebody comes along in a, a van and throws her in the back and she becomes a prostitute in the nearest city, that's not happening. It, it nearly the rates it has in the past, and even you know in the past it was still it was still incredibly unusual. Yeah, you know, we're talking and you know recent past, you know, how eighty years ago whenever you were a child, exactly whatever it was, but you know it was still incredibly rare, and it is st- more in- even rarer. Right, I because mean, you know these when you know a little child goes missing for a substantial length of time, it becomes a front page story. We hear about it. I mean, and it, we just don't hear about them that often. 
Right, and they have uh, the Amber Alerts, which you get on your phone, and you know how frequently you get them on your phone. This is not this huge and, problem. And 90% of the time, it's a family member that has taken a child. I mean, like, and 90% is probably low. Right. I mean, it is it is almost always someone, a family member, it's a custody dispute over a child and something. I mean, along the, I mean, that is almost always what the Amber Alerts are for. Right, which, which I think in one way, I mean, the Amber Alert is kind of, I'm not going to say part of the problem, but it is, it is giving a false impression because when you see that Amber Alert, you think, uh-oh, someone has been kidnapped off the street. It could have been my child. Well, if you and your wife are married, it wasn't your child because it was usually likely the other spouse taking the child or the, the other parent taking the child. Right. And not that that is a good thing. It's just a very different type of thing than you think when you see that alert come on the phone. It's a very different thing than what they're saying that you should do because the protection that you should put in place so that your child, your daughter doesn't get snatched off the street. Well, that's not going to stop your spouse from taking them. I mean, it's not, those aren't, those are very different things. And so they're, but by conflating them and mixing them up, it makes it sound like it's this huge problem when, again, there are lots of problems that are significant problems and important problems. But they, by adding them together and pretending like one thing is this other thing, they're scaring people and they're fear-mongering, which really is not helpful. I mean, and it's, I think it's important as we start this conversation to kind of, in a lot of episodes, we spend a lot of time talking about theology and driving theology. In this episode, theology will be applied in a lot of different ways. But we're not like going to, there's not a whole lot of scripture that we're going to be saying, let's go and look at this verse, let's go and look at this, you know, from that perspective. But the themes that we talk about in a lot of the other episodes are going to come up a lot in here. I mean, a lot of what goes on with human trafficking is people don't have a good sense of where sin actually lives. They don't have a good sense of where sin is actually committed. And like we're talking about, like, the Amber Alerts is a really good example. The, the father grabbing his child and taking his child, there's sin involved there somewhere. I mean, either he shouldn't have, the child shouldn't have been taken from him, either he's, been, he's desperate or he's... He's taking the child to use him as a bargaining chip and the fact that now that there's a divorce and this is messy and the law and the sin could be on the law enforcement part. The sin could be on all sorts of different places. But in the end, part of the problem with so many modern things is that we don't actually want to deal with sin. We want to put we want to put these layers between things. We want to actually use political agendas. And this is part of our even concern with the sound of freedom is there's a part of it where what's going on is people are politically driven to go. We don't trust the news. We don't trust the media. We don't trust all these things. And there are people who are driving huge amounts of disinformation in through the middle of that distrust. And in the end, the Christian really needs to be able to step back and go, there is a way to think about the world. You can look at these things, and you don't have to live in fear. And that's just one of the real fundamental things is, is let's try to make it so that people can't drive you to fear and to fear God instead of men, fear God instead of all these other things out there, and actually think about sin and deal with sin in a right way. And, and if somebody is trying to drive your fear, you need to be asking, what are they selling me? What, what really is at stake here? And if they're not saying, fear God, if it's fear something else, which this subject very much is, then you've got to take a step back and spend some time sorting out what's real and what's a narrative that's being pushed in order to drive you to think a particular way. And, and you know, a lot of the, the viewers, the listeners were not so happy about the response to COVID and would have said there's a lot of fear mongering. Well, if you think there was a lot of fear mongering with COVID, you know, look at the scale 
of, you know, the, the issue you're talking about here versus the scale of COVID. You know, not that it's, you know, and of, and of course, this shouldn't need to be said, but of course, you know, you know, kidnapping children, the whole list of other sins are horrible things and they're things that should be stopped. And there's things that for certain people, certain places you do need to be, need, do need to be careful about. Um, but it doesn't mean that that can, the, the, you should have the wrong perspective on it and how often it happens and how big of a concern it should be. So I think it's worthwhile reading like one of the definitions. This is from anti-slavery international and you know, the state department has a different definition that they combine some things together that this one doesn't, but and they would say that human trafficking and modern slavery are synonyms, that those are two terms for the same thing. So they would expand it broader than the Anti-Slavery International does. But here's how they define it. We define modern slavery as when an individual is exploited by others for personal or commercial gain. Whether tricked, coerced, or forced, they lose their freedom. This includes but is not limited to human trafficking, forced labor, and debt bondage. So they have expanded it, and when the State Department says 27 million people are trafficked, they're including people that are forced labor and debt bondage. Well, you could argue that most people in this country are under debt bondage just because of mortgages, but that's – well, actually, they could mean that. That's how broad they go is that they can, they can take these words and put anybody into the category that they want. I would even argue that Tim Ballard, who did the, the movie Sound of Freedom, that when he filmed his famous raid – he was actually exploiting others for commercial gain. So he was, in his thing against modern slavery, he was actually perpetrating it. You're say- and specifically what you're saying is the definition is so loose that you can put all sorts of things under it. Right. right, and that you can, you can say he was doing this to do video, which is what people are saying that he was there, that were with him. And so was he doing it for commercial gain? Yes. So all of a sudden it's like, so where is the line? And if you draw this line that is so fuzzy that nobody, that it's all how you spin your story, which side of the line you're on, that means the line doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, because obviously, because, you know, even if he was wrong to go film the raid and it was exploitative, he wasn't enslaving people. I mean, it just didn't exactly. happen. So if the definition is so broad that the, you know, the, the anti-slavery crusader is caught under it, there's an issue with the definition. And so they say that so that they can get it so broad that all of a sudden you can think that the things that are going on that are terrible, that somehow they're much bigger because you've included in somebody kidnapping a child from a street in America to make her a prostitute. You've conflated that with a sweatshop in China. And so now all of a sudden you say that sweatshop is that's, – that's human slavery. The other one is modern slavery. And so, therefore, you know, all of a sudden you're thinking that there's these huge numbers of girls being kidnapped so that people have sexual intercourse with them when it's really there's a bunch of people working in sweatshops in China. That's very different, but yet they've conflated them. Basically, you can get – you can make the definition broad enough, cast the net wide enough that you can get some really large statistics, and then you can – narrow your focus for the narrative that you want to say that you know the the exemplars of oh these are the kinds of people that are human trafficked to some very sensational cases and we're not denying that any of those things are not real and they're not evil they are evil oh, yeah, of course but I mean, I mean what they aren't is nearly as widespread as they're being portrayed and, you know even when we're talking about sweatshops i mean we might have the idea that that means that you are you're, you're a slave and you're in this shop having to work and you're sweating and you're twelve right, right? You're 12, that's what yeah. they usually so you're do if you're underage then it's by definition slavery right under the U S 
age, of course, of not course. necessarily the country that they're in. But, you know, the fact that someone is not able to leave their job because of the conditions they're in, because of the poverty of the area, because of the lack of opportunity, the lack of skills that they have, that they feel like they have to work this job. That's Otherwise, they'll starve. Right. It, that doesn't mean that they're a slave, you know, because how many of us can just stop working and not to say that they're not more, you know, in a worse situation than we are. But if we can't stop working, we, we're not saying that we're slaves, even though we have to work a job for so many years, you know, it doesn't mean that we're slaves. And the fact that they are in much poor conditions, their job is much harder, doesn't necessarily mean that because it's a bad work environment that they are slaves. I mean, it's, it's what they have to do to make money. And, you know, we could say that their freedom to work that job is an illusion because they have no other choice. But, you know... It, that that's not the definition of slavery because then you know you could that that widens it out so much right. everyone ends up being a slave unless well, you're was independently is, wealthy there's a part of it where if you take the phrase an individual is exploited by others for personal or commercial gain most sins fall under that category i mean there's i mean there's just i mean that to some level you are doing this because you expect some sort of gain from it whether personal or you know commercial and so and there's a and this is what I mean, and in a sense, they're they're saying we can put slavery, and and there's a part of where theologically, if you were talking as a theologian, sin is a form of slavery. But they're not trying to say we need to wipe out all sin in the world. And they're certainly not saying they're saying this is the means to wipe it out, right? Which has nothing to do with that. And they might even be fine with saying we want to wipe out all sin in the world, but there's no reason to believe, like you said, that I think that's and really the, specific. And the way they're generating money is not with that intention, right? They're not going to try to wipe out slavery in the world. They're not going to try to wipe out sweatshops. They're doing something very specific, but they're using a very general, general statistic to drive money for their specific purpose. And, I mean, you know, it's one thing about this definition. It says whether tricked, coerced, or forced, they lose their freedom. So they're saying that slavery does not require you being forced to work. Right. That you will be, like, beaten up or hauled back or tied up if you try to get away from this slavery. It's that someone tricked you and now you're doing it. It's someone, you know, coerced you, you know, mani- you know, in a— Somebody said you're 10, you can start working in my factory. So you went and worked at their factory. Well, they tricked you into doing it right. because you could have kept in school and gotten some— probably not, but they, but they would include that in there. Right. Or someone is, you know, a mommy Instagrammer, and she posts 20 videos of her kids a day, which is probably not a very healthy thing to be doing. And now has she coerced her children? Yes, they're her children. They have to do it. Are they slaves? No, they're not. According slaves. to that definition, they are. Right. And then they do other things to twist things, too. And I was, you know, before this latest movie, there was a movie that was out, I don't know, like six years ago or something that was from, you know, the book Sex Trafficking Inside the Business of Modern Slavery, where they're making their big point is that you you smuggle drugs in and you sell the drugs and you make profit once. But if you smuggle a girl in and you keep selling the girl over and over again, that you make a lot of more money so that. So that sex trafficking is so much more profitable than drugs that everybody, all the drug pushers are moving over to do sex trafficking. And you read the book, and we do stuff in Nigeria, and I know how hard it is to do accounting in Nigeria. It is like next to impossible because nobody thinks that way. Nobody keeps accounts of that for legal things. But you go in her book, and she says exactly what the books look like for a sex trafficker in Africa, I guarantee she has no idea. 
guarantee those numbers are those are impossible to get. And she's saying for a continent, you know, South Africa, Nigeria versus Malawi versus some of these. I mean, they're totally different numbers. But yet she cites these and people give credence to it as if, wow, look at how profitable this business is. And they're just making it up. And Christians need to start saying, stop making things up. These are called lies because they're just making up the numbers. They can't have the statistics. I'm sorry, they can't even have them in the United States. Because the police, if they knew where these people were, the police would arrest them. You know, even Operation Underground Railroad, they say, oh, yeah, in the U.S., if, if they find any of this, they immediately arrest the people. And so if they did that and they knew all the statistics for the numbers and stuff, sorry, those people would be in prison. Right, because they tell you, here's how many here's how many people are trafficked in the world every year. Here's how many people are trafficked in the U.S. every year. But they didn't arrest the people, so they don't actually know. I mean, not that you can never make an estimate, but they just they, they really just don't know. And if we look at the statistics, because I have, um, if you look at the statistics, it's something like under 2,000 people a year are accused of trafficking in the United States. Meaning, what, and what does that mean by trafficking? That means according to the U.S. laws, what is trafficking? So sex trafficking, any human trafficking, forced labor, all these things would fall under there. And according to that, there's like, you know, Five to 700 people a year convicted. It has not been going up. It's actually gone down. The number of people charged have gone down. And then that's at the federal level, the state level. All the states together have about the same number. So you're talking about a problem that's like 4,000 people are, are thought to be doing it where they per actually year. per year that are where they're actually the police are, have a report of it that they're acting on. Which, you get the idea. It's much, much, much bigger. And it's simply not. Right, which is a lot of people, but we're a very large country. Right. It's, and, and the, I mean, you have more people killed in Chicago by gunfire than you have that, that were convicted of sex, crime, of, of sex trafficking last year. You don't say the whole country is horrible because of 700 people being murdered in Chicago. It's just we're, we're – Christians don't think. We don't, like, put it together and go, wait a second, how big is this problem? Well, I mean, but actually people do that. And and you see this with foreign tourists who are interested in coming to the United States, and they have this perception that everybody's just getting shot all over the place. And then they come here and they find out, oh, it's actually not like that. It's actually safer here than it is in London. Unless they go to San Francisco. (laughs) But you can see. But still, still, it's still not as bad as 95% of the places in San Francisco (laughs) are fine. Right. That's right. the perception they get, and then when their local state departments, their their country of origin state department says, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna we're gonna put out a warning about traveling to the United States because of the gun violence there," as if a tourist is at any risk of gun violence. But you can tell a narrative there, and you can right. put up examples, and and you look can scare Chicago, people. and you can you can sell fear, which is what they're doing. The thing is, Christians shouldn't be buying. Right. Two years ago, there were stories that Wayfair, the the furniture shipping company, that the names of the items in the furniture company were children. And that, I mean, this is the level. I mean, you know, over the last several years, the, the, the level to which people have taken this is really high. 
And for the record, it's not true that they were selling children in Wayfair. That was not happening. And I mean, there's also the dark web where you can order all kinds of illegal stuff to show up at your house. Why would they be posting it on the open internet when there is the internet that people go to for this type of stuff? And I, I don't go on the dark web, but I don't, you can't order children to be shipped to your house or they would just order all the children and we would be hearing about that. I mean, right. It's just blatantly false. And, and the other t- thing, too, is, you know, when we're, you're going back to the State Department or the, the numbers of prosecutions for, for trafficking, and how many of that was related to the border? I would guess they, a they good didn't have that number them. broken down that way, but I would suspect it's a good number of those two. Right. So you see the post saying, keep your eyes open for trafficking. Well, how close are you to the border? And, and like you were saying with statistics, it was very hard. I mean, one of the things that I noticed when I started looking at statistics was the way they were broken down. It was very hard to isolate things into categories and figure out specifics. You could go and you could see even – and so even the table, some of them that you could download, they would have sex trafficking broken into – like into lumped into categories. This sex trafficking is in with labor in this section, and this sex trafficking is in with this other group over here. And then if you're trying to figure out how many were actually children, which places – I mean – it was the statistics were grouped in ways that made it really difficult to get at the raw numbers for a lot of the things. And you know they have the raw numbers somewhere, or they've intentionally m- made it so by the time they get put into the cattle, you know. But, I mean, it was very, very hard to get down to that actual level of data. And a lot of times, I mean, these are for specific crimes. They know exactly what the crime was. It is right. very easy to sort based on the crime. Right. They don't want to. It's the reason that they're not putting that data up. So I think it's worthwhile, like the U.S. State Department – says here's the types of modern slavery, sex trafficking, child sex trafficking, forced labor, bonded labor or debt bondage, domestic servitude, forced child labor, unlawful recruitment and use of child soldiers. It's probably worth talking about these because all these do, they are problems, but we have to put them in the right perspective. For instance, sex trafficking. What they want to go and say is it's sex trafficking if a woman you know, is using drugs and is a prostitute. Because they're using the drugs to control her to make her be a prostitute, so therefore it's it's modern slavery. She's enslaved. Problem is, most women that start to prostitute themselves, they were already on drugs. They're not doing the prostitution because they've been manipulated and forced to do it for the drugs. They wanted the drugs, and they were willing to prostitute themselves for the drugs. And so they're taking away the agency of the woman, and we're not talking about child sex trafficking here. They're taking away the agency of the woman that she's actually saying, I would rather have sex with strangers than to not have my heroin. I mean, and this is the same thing that frequently gets done with abortion. In, in abortion, you go, abortion is horrible. And then you go, the woman who wants the abortion has done nothing wrong ever. And there's a, and so and so the and the point here isn't to go the woman who is doing the prostitution is the evil thing, the pimp is just as guilty, right? But <laughs> but in the end, what they've done it's it's like immunity deals. It's like as they've decided to effectively give immunity to the to the girls, and and there's a or part women, of where to be clear, right? Yeah. And so at, right, and so so they've said we're going to give effective like social and political and we're going to give immunity and we're going to market this in every way. So that this category of person gets gets immunity, and people are willing to do that because if you look at it, they're the one that societally you would look at and go, well, yeah. If I was going to give any, if I was going to say anybody wasn't at fault, that's the person I would pick. And so it's, but it's not, it's not just. 
and it's not a right view of where the actual sin is, and it's not actually going to deal with the sin either. And the State Department is is pretty clear about you know their their interpretation of of slavery and how um, wide prostitution can be, and prostitution that we could say it's voluntary, yet they can still classify it as sex trafficking. And their definition for sex trafficking, they say this. Even if an adult initially consents to participate in prostitution, it is irrelevant. If an adult, after consenting, is subsequently held in service through psychological manipulation or physical force, he or she is a trafficking victim should receive benefits outlined in the Palermo Protocol and applicable domestic laws. And I mean, of course, you know, how do you interpret psychological manipulation? You know, that could be something they could interpret quite broadly and say that effectively everyone. Right. There's almost no one who's involved in prostitution where they're not in total control of every aspect that they did, which is pretty rare that they did not. I mean, and again, is it wrong for other people to try to manipulate them into doing prostitution? Yes. Does it absolve you for your acts of prostitution? No. But when you when you throw that on there of like, oh, okay, the thing that's holding you is psychological manipulation, you are completely removing the agency of that person. And and you're treating them as a not a person. And that's what that's what they want to do is say that this person who is trapped by their own choices, trapped by their own sin, that that they're not a person. They're just they're forced by other people to it. And it's and people are guilty of their own sin. And we don't want to think about that for ourselves. We don't want to think about how that means that there'll be a day of judgment where God will judge us. So we want to say the same thing for other people. They're not responsible for their sins. And understand the packaging of this, the damage it does. Let's say you had a daughter who ran away. Let's say you had a daughter who became a prostitute for a period of time. It's very tempting for you whenever your if your daughter came back to go, none of that was your fault. It's very tempting of you it's it's a it's a package that you want to believe, and it's not good for your daughter because your daughter really did choose things. Your daughter really did make decisions. Your daughter, your daughter's not going to be able to come to grips with those decisions that she made if you treat her like she actually had no agency at any point along the way. And so, I mean, there's this part of it where you're doing just incredible harm, but understand the person who's selling you this package, they're selling it to you for a reason because you want to believe it because it's the most palatable thing. And, I mean, this is the story of the prodigal son, right? When the prodigal son comes back, the man who is a picture of God doesn't go, oh, you spent all your inheritance. It's no problem. It was You were just misled. You were just – I mean, he rejoices that they came back. But there's no idea of somehow what they did was not wrong. And you can accept somebody back without going, what you did was fine. And and one issue here is, you know, when the Bible talks about it, it talks about the prostitutes as going out looking for people to try to, you know, uh, you know, entice them and corrupt them. And where they're trying to go out and like bring people down. Um, But now, at least in a lot of circles, that is not an okay way to talk about it at all. A lot of people are okay with prostitution as long as they agree to it. And so now suddenly you need to find someone else to blame because it is a dark and an evil thing. And that's obvious in a lot of cases. And so instead of saying this person is sinning and has made a lot of very bad decisions and maybe been you know, maybe not the only person that is in the sin with her. Maybe there's other people who are encouraging her to do it. 
you know, but but they're but they have to place all the evil on someone else because they're okay with her doing it if she chose to. And they and so often it's related to drugs, and they go, "Oh yeah, they're using drugs to control her." I mean, this is the story they spin all the time, right? And this is just backwards. And of course, drugs are fine to use, prostitution's fine to do, but this is really horrible stuff is happening. So who are we going to blame? Right, we're going to blame the person who gives her who sells her so that they can buy drugs for her and take a take a cut. I'm not saying that they're innocent in it, but and so just when we think about sex trafficking, you know. One of the big things is, do you understand? I was watching this the other day where they were going, do you understand that so much trafficking happens on airlines? And it's like, no, I don't understand that. If what you mean is there can be somebody so doped up that they take them on an airline and they're out, they're stoned out of their mind and you should recognize that if people are stoned to do something about it because drug use is still illegal in this country. Well, what does that have to do with trafficking? If it's trafficking, they're in an environment where they know the guy sitting next to them doesn't have a gun. They know there's police everywhere. All they have to do is go, I'm being trafficked. But they go, the woman doesn't have to say anything. The stewardesses all have to be, excuse me, the flight attendants all have to be trained to detect that they're being trafficked. And it's completely removing all responsibility from the person to deal with the situation. And we use phrases like they've been brainwashed. We use, I mean, and, and understand something. Can a person be put in a situation where they feel a great deal of pressure to not do something? Yes. But there's also a reason why they said, I want to stay here. There's also a reason why, and, 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 this, and they, we end up going, the only way to deal with this is to pretend like these other sins don't exist. And so we end up making this really, really difficult to deal with. The only way that we feel like we can deal with this is by denying that sin itself is a type of slavery. Right. That sin itself is ultimately what slavery is, and that there are some people who say, "I'm fine with my sin. I'm going to take. I'm going to follow this sin all the way down," and and it ends up destroying them. But that's that's. When you said at the beginning that we would be appealing to theological concepts, that's really fundamental here, is you have to start with sin is the sort of thing that destroys you, and the more you give into it, the more destructive it is, the greater hold it has on you, and you are very much a slave, but we're misplacing where the real slavery is when we tell these kinds of stories, and we think that they all lean one direction. I mean, the, the problem is, is you've been so inundated with these things that when you hear us say that the flight attendants have to be trained, you think we're saying that flight attendants shouldn't do this. It's not wrong to train flight attendants to look for this. No. If I owned an airline, I would train flight attendants to look for this. If for no other reason than the marketing push. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it is just, it's not a bad thing. It is not, it is not wrong to look for these things. It is not wrong if you see someone who is in a position and you think they're uncomfortable that you can help them. It is good to do those things. But what happens is, is when you say that, you end up going, they are innocent. You end up going saying they have done nothing. They have no part in the sin. You, and again, if you're dealing with a child, very different. But when you're dealing with adults, adults have responsibility, and you cannot take this away. And I do think you know, the next one that they had was child sex trafficking. And I think we should recognize how I believe is most child sex trafficking happens is the child runs away from home, and they have decided that the risks of being run away from home 
are less than the risk of staying at home, whether it's because they were being abused already and they just want to get out of the abusive situation or because they just don't want to be under authority and it's their own sin driving them. But one thing that it's not is the whole bunch of people being snatched off the street and taken to a brothel in some city. That's not what's happening. Right. What's happening is there's other serious problems that are going on, and the response to it ends up in that situation rather than thinking that just arises out of the blue. I mean, and, and I mean, I remember like growing up is you have this idea of they'll come, they'll kidnap your child, they'll shoot them up with drugs. So the child is now, you know, the child is now completely addicted to drugs and they can do nothing about it whatsoever. And then the child's trapped forever. And again, has that ever happened? It is possible sure. that that has happened. It is, we're no, we are not sitting here going, that has never happened in the history of the world. It may have happened a thousand times. But well, it the is, world's big. It could have happened a million right. times over, yeah, it's right. big and thousands of years old. But in the end, it is not the way that most it is not how most children get brought into slavery at all. It is not how children get brought into sex trafficking at all. That is not the typical pattern. And, you know, if we're talking about the typical pattern, um, you know, definitely in other countries, it, I mean, the parents are involved. Right. That's the other scenario. The, I know that's not fair to say in other countries because I know situations in this country where the parents were the ones that were prostituting their daughter. I mean, that's, that's not that unusual. We think that it's going that they're snatched and they're taken away. A lot of times it's the parent wants money, they want drugs, and so they go sleep with my daughter and I'll get it, pay me this money. Sometimes money. and sometimes it's very casual. The the wife gets a boyfriend and the boyfriend is looking at the daughter and the mother just sees him looking at the daughter and the mother goes in her room. You know so what the, I mean? And, I mean and I'm saying though that that where money changes hands. Right. It is not unusual for the mother to be prostituting their daughter or the father to be prostituting their daughter. I know of multiple situations where that has happened in the United States. I know of a lot more that have happened in Nigeria, where in Nigeria there was a whole bunch of girls that, that their mothers knew that they were either being raped or were subject to being raped, but for $20 a month they were willing to let their daughter stay in that situation. I mean, that's what Voice of the Martyrs was doing. And so we look at it and we act like this just can't happen and, and that it has to be these evil men coming from outside. And no. This is how depraved people are, that they will sell their daughters if they're hungry enough, if they want drugs bad enough, if they, you know, if they want their boyfriend not to leave them. They will sell their daughters to do it. And this is how depraved we are. But that doesn't mean that you need to go, my family's going to be attacked this way. And it's, it's an important thing for you to bring up because when we're talking about what is a really sensitive subject – it's useful to know that you have some very firsthand experience with things that fit right in the middle of the definitions. But not in the middle of what people think of. They don't think of not, the mother selling their daughter well, and, for sex. And that's what I mean. It's like what you describe fits in the middle of the, the, the definition very clearly by any definition. All of these children were trafficked. They were exploited. They were used. But then the details of it are so much more mundane and you're not going to do this great raid to catch a bunch of mothers that are prostituting their daughters. That's not how it happens. I mean, that's just right. not. You're saying in a sense of they're not congregated. It's This right. happens over here and this happens over here. And the way you do it is you change the societal pressures so that the the desire – the, the this is where we've talked about that there's shame for doing these sort of things. 
that the cost of doing it there's that there's easier ways to be respectable and to do I mean to make you know I mean that all of these things can happen we act like we can drop prosecution for drug crimes and that prostitution won't go up of ch- children it will because there will be mothers that because they they will be I have to have my heroin, and they will prostitute their daughters. And we act like the solution is somehow you get somebody go in there and do a raid. No. What we've done is changed it from somebody who's addicted to heroin, and that's even a bad term, somebody who loves to use heroin, which is the proper understanding, somebody that desires to use drugs, instead of them going, they should be shunned by normal society, that that behavior is taboo. Now they go, there's nothing wrong with that person. All these people we've had, all you know, the the national or the average life expectancy has dropped by three years because of drug abuse in this country over the last few years. Three years is huge, and yet they're not saying these people have culpability. They're saying these poor drug abusers. It's the 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 doctors that prescribe the opioids for for injuries. It's this and it's that, and they're all the people that are guilty. And so what you've done is you've shifted it so there's no shame for that woman because, after all, she's just an opioid addict. And so that there's no pressure against her to change. So all she's doing is, well, I'm an opioid addict. Number one, there's nothing I can do because I'm an addict. That's not my responsibility. And number two, I need money, so I'll prostitute my daughter. We are setting up our culture to have more and more of this while we pretend like we're fighting against it. Desiring what is right comes with some form of there's a dignity to it. And we're trying to even destroy the dignity. Because as soon as you say you shouldn't do that, that's judgmental. Being judgmental is, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's like we're attacking it from both sides. We're removing the shame and we're trying to also erode any dignity. You know what I mean? There's, there's no advantage of not doing it. There's no gain to be even had there. And so, I mean, it's, when you look at it from the point of view of a society, you're, you're, you're shoving people down this horrible path. And you're saying that what you're doing is destroying slavery. It's really important for us to recognize who by far and away, not even close, who by far and away are the biggest sex traffickers in the United States. Nobody else is even close for child sex trafficking. And that's the state governments. The state governments in the foster care system, they know the level of rape and molestation that happens in the foster care system. They're paying people to rape children. They don't mean to, but they also know what's going on. They've done plenty of studies. You look at the number of children that get molested by a foster parent. The rate is roughly four times higher than a regular parent. And and the number of children in the foster care system that are molested are something like 60%. I mean, it is like unbelievable And yet the government still keeps putting these children into this system where they know that they'll be molested. The reason why this really matters is because this is the height of hypocrisy. Because in the end, the reason the government continues to do this is because they say this is the best system. So if you look at this and you look as we talk through these other situations, in almost all of these situations, there's a person who says, I'm willing to accept the trade-offs. I'm willing to accept the negatives in this situation for the outcome. And they make this choice. And the government goes, you are not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to make these decisions. You are not allowed to do this under any circumstance. And we're going to punish this. 
But in this case, because the government has authority, the government is saying, this is the outcome. We're willing to accept it. And the warts are just the cost of doing business. So when the government does it, the government says, this is policy and it's fine. But when anybody else wants to choose something that has negative aspects to it, the government will say, you cannot make that choice. And we as a culture want to go, that choice cannot be made. And so, I mean, just you really need to understand this as you go through, because in the end, they are not willing to demonize themselves for the exact same things that they say is slavery. In the end, this is slavery. And it is absolutely slavery because the children in the foster system have to be there. And so by their own definitions, they are absolutely operating under slavery. I mean, there's an, and there's another issue, too, um, that you know, is, is pretty relevant to all this. Because you could say, well, you know, the foster care system, what other choice is there? You know, and for some people, yeah, you need some sort of system. But the thing is, they are intentionally excluding, and I don't know every state, but most, if not all states, intentionally exclude people who actually love the children. Because you know, if you discipline them biblically, you are not eligible to be in foster care. Even if you spank them at all, right? I mean, or there's even, no even spanking. Spank, what, frequently, it's even if you spank another child in the house. Right. If you show love for your own children by using the rod, you have disqualified yourself as a foster home. That's the policy in most states. And that is ridiculous. You have to first prove that you hate your children biblically before you can be accepted as a foster parent. That's how sick the system is. And I mean, and I just again, I have experience. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm old, um, but I know of a girl who was molested in multiple foster homes, and she would rather have her father, who used to be a professional boxer, lose his temper and beat her up rather than to go back to foster care. So she lied to the foster for, to the social workers because she's like, I have a choice between you sending me a place where I will be raped. And being beaten by a professional boxer. That's where we are. And that's where we are as a nation. And we're going, this is fine. And let's worry about what's happening. Let's do these fancy raids on television and stuff. Instead of, let's fix the evil system that we have in this country where children are being trafficked. The next one they had was forced labor. And as I was reading their definition of it, I realized that I'm a modern slave owner. Because I've had young men who lived in my house, and because they live in my house, I make them do work. Well, that's forced labor. 12 hours a day in a not sweatshop. Tw- <laughs> not, not 12 hours a day. Making not in a the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had young men that were underage, so they couldn't leave my house. And I forced them to do work because he does not work, does not eat. And so based and on – You even told them that. I you? even quoted that scripture verse. And you got us all roped in because when they came on Sunday, we said the same thing to them. <laughs> You've implicated us all. We're enablers. (laughs) But this is how broad it's gotten that I'm trying to help underage children in my home. And and trying to be a blessing to them. I'm 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I don't even know. I I don't think I've ever had anybody that young. Probably 16 is the youngest I've had. And so I'm trying to be a blessing to them. But according to the State Department, I'm a slave master. These definitions are ridiculous. And and it being legal as well. I mean, and it's being legal. What I, I don't know of anything like that illegal. I did. It was not like I did it without the knowledge of their parents or of their, their guardian. So I was probably 17 or 18, but there were points where, you know, someone did similar things where I, you know, had, you know, I could go, I was, you know, I chose to go there. I mean, these, they all chose. They weren't like, nobody like 
force them to. I mean, there may have been times where they had less choices, but that's right. This is part of the problem: is, is we all turn it into less choices. The, uh, right, where, they have less choices, but that's because of situations that they put themselves in that I they don't have went, any other right. choices. I could have went wherever I wanted to, but in the end, I was like, "This actually is good for me." And I could have went other places, and it would have been much worse. I could have went places where people wouldn't have made me work. And I even looked at it and said, that wouldn't be good. You know what I mean? And we forget that all these things factor into things. And so, like I said, but whenever you make it that, because of circumstances, you have to, you know, if you feel any pressure, if you feel any coercion to do something, like you said, he that does not work shall not eat, is fundamental coercion. It is God is saying this should be the coercion by which all people choose to work at a minimum. If you will not do it for any other reason, you should do it to eat. And it's coercion of a point of hellfire. Which right. What, what more? How more coercive could you be? Right. And there are people who will go, that's not what they mean by forced labor. But the problem is, is it's really hard to disentangle some of these things. It's depending on when you get in other circumstances where – in that economy, the choices are very different than American choices for even the person who they are working for. Like the person they're working for, it's not like they have – they're not living in some lap of luxury. They're not making tons of money off of this. I mean, and sometimes that's the case of like you've got somebody who they're not doing that well and the other person would be starving to death and we go in and go, you're a slave master. Again, we we take the situation, we look at it, and we go according to our sensibilities – this is the bad guy. Let's give everyone else immunity, and then let's say this is the evil person, even though they were living and being fed by them. And afterwards, they're not returned to a better situation. And, I mean, you look at it, and you know, that's kind of the, one of the points that I'm trying to make is that they've, they've expanded this thing so that it's so broad where obviously I wasn't breaking any law. They can't charge me with anything. But at the same time, they can use – they could, if they knew about it, they could have used me as a statistic and and used it to inflate these things when somebody's actually trying to do good. And so when you de- make definitions that are meaningless, it's just a means of manipulation. I mean, some of the places where this does happen, where there are, you know, evil people involved or people doing evil things involved um, is, you know, a common one is people immigrate illegally. They go to work for someone um, or possibly legally, but generally illegally. And then they get their passport taken and they're saying, you're going to stay and you're going to work here for, you know, whatever, below minimum wage. And if you get away, we're going to find you and take you and get you deported, um, which, you know, is coercion and is force and is illegal. But on the other hand, how if you just caught all those people and deported them, some of those people wouldn't be happy about that. So I think most wouldn't be happy about it. Right. Because any of them could run to the police and say this was happening and be deported. Any of them. Well, most of them. I most mean, of there's them. Probably, there's right. some, I'm, I'm sure, sure there's some, some that are, locked are out, chained but. and whatever. But I think that's a, a very rare situation. The reality is that they're, they're looking at the environment they came from where they aren't sure if they will get food tomorrow. And they're getting food tomorrow where they are. And they go, yeah, I have no choice. Yeah, I don't have money. Yeah, I don't have this. Yeah, I don't have that. But I'm better off than my choice number two. And people go, because that first choice is so terrible, clearly nobody would choose it. That's clearly false. People choose, make difficult choices all the time. And and it's important to talk about this because the Bible uses this as one of the a really important case studies of this is what it's like to be a slave. Is There could be a time where you're a slave in a man's house and then you have an opportunity to be free and you say, you know what? 
I really love my master. It's better for me to be a slave here than to be free. I want to be a slave forever. And then you drive the all through that man's ear. And then this is for us what a picture of salvation is. Right. You know, it's used as an example of this is what it's like to live in the house of God. And we and, and that guy's a statistic here of terrible things that are happening and the world's getting worse. And that's not the way the Bible talks about it in its situation. Another one that's very related to what Joshua just raised, which is bonded labor or debt bondage. This would be the situation where somebody from Mexico smuggles you across the border and then you owe the money for it and you can't pay the money. So they basically put you in a situation where they'll get the money until it's paid back. And we go, oh, how terrible that is. But if I remember the statistics right, and Joshua, I'm sure will not hesitate to correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) I believe something like 60% of the people that came to America during the first 100 years all came under this system. Not, very few of them could afford to actually come over here. So what they did instead was they signed a, you know, they became an indentured servant for six years, five years, some cases. And after that time, they went free. But they were debt bondage, literally. And yet now we turn around and go, this is evil when probably most people in America, their ancestors went through this. And now we go, this is just unbelievable. How could anybody do this? No, this is normal. And this, they made the choice. The people who were looking, and, and even children, where they're basically their parents are sending their children to come across without them, and they're unaccompanied minors, and they're all these people, and a lot of times they go with relatives, and they paid money, and they go, oh, this is, this is all this human trafficking. Yeah, but they want to be trafficked. Their parents want them to be trafficked. They want them to come to America where they won't have the same financial. Right. They want them to be transported. But that falls under human trafficking. And, yeah, is that illegal what they're doing? Absolutely. But it's not like the parents a lot of times were trying to torture the children or that it's terrible things for the children. No, they're going, this is a better life for the child. And yet now we go and say, yeah, we have to add those statistics in. This is why it's so horrible in America and how much there's so much modern slavery in America because their parents are paying people to take them someplace. I mean, and, and again, because we're so inundated with this, it's worth walking across that because you're not saying that the person who's smuggling them in should do it because he's Illegal. breaking the law. You're not saying that the parents should break the law to get their children in here. What we're saying is, is at the same time that you see someone breaking the law, someone is telling you and whispering in your ear, the reason they're doing it is for slavery. (laughs) I've got control of this child. As opposed to a parent wants something that they believe is worth breaking the law to get. And they believe that it's worth sending their child for the betterment of their child. A parent who very likely loves their child as much as you love your child. And they're not selling their child into sl- – I mean, it's, I mean, in these cases – If you were living with the cartels in Mexico, wouldn't you send your child out? Right. And so, I mean, so it's – the point of it isn't to pull it apart and go, none of this is wrong. It's to go, don't buy the additional lie at the same time that you look at the problem. Don't lump another one in there. And, in fact, a bigger one that obscures you to the real issues that maybe should be dealt with. Why are we so against immigrants in some ways? Why are we? And we've talked about this. There's a part of it where we don't Why believe do we give in our asylum country? to somebody who brings a, a minor into the country, right? Because you're incenting people to to send their children without the parents 
because this couple's more than happy to take them because they'll get asylum because they have this this child who isn't their child, but it doesn't matter. But that child is now over there. They have asylum because of it. And and they can even throw in the number and say the child was trafficked. I mean, they can right. even in that situation, they can go, even though they brought them in, even though they gave the couple asylum, even though they gave the child permission to come into the country, they can say that the child was effectively trafficked. And so in a sense, it gives them a way of even bringing the numbers up because they can use policy to do that. And even recently, the Biden administration stopped doing DNA tests to see if the child was related to either of the people bringing them in. So they can give them asylum for somebody else's child. In other words, the Biden administration is intentionally increasing human trafficking. That's what they're doing. Right. And everybody knows it. So it used to be that if a couple brought in a child, they would do DNA testing. And if it's not, if they're not related to one of the parents, they said it was an unaccompanied minor. Now they've stopped that, and they say this is a family, so the parents get asylum where they didn't before. Oh, okay. Before the child would get asylum, but the parents would not. Now the parents get asylum that aren't parents. So basically you can have a couple that goes, I want to go into the United States, and I want to get asylum. Well, I'll take your child. I'll cover all the costs. He comes with me. He'll be in the United States. They go fine, and they're trafficking them. They're using it for their purposes. They get asylum because of the Biden administration has changed policy to increase human trafficking. That's what's happened. Right. And people aren't going, this is horrible. And I guarantee that is a bigger number than the sex trafficking that we're talking about in the United States. It's a bigger number. But yet we don't talk about that, even though President Biden is intentionally changing policy to do it. So next is domestic servitude. And is this just someone working in your house as a servant? You bring them in from a foreign country and they work for you because they don't know anybody. They don't know where to go. You provide their housing and they don't they don't have any way to leave. And the, they're stuck being they, a domestic servant. The coercion is unfamiliarity is unfamiliarity with the region effectively. Unfamiliarity. They don't have contacts and things like that. I mean, but what if they do have a way to leave? I mean, aren't they still in domestic servitude? <laughs> well, possibly. I think I didn't read this one in detail with the State Department, but they do define it on the page that I took this off of. And so I think they would say that there was some coercion or some constraint that was making them stay there. But the nanny gate, do you I remember, remember yeah, nanny gate? Yeah. I mean, this is basically nanny gate. Okay. Right? These people, they bring somebody in from Guatemala because they're a lot cheaper as a servant. They live in their house. They're a maid in their house. And our public servants were doing that. Well, that's modern slavery. And this, there was like a series of them that couldn't get, that kept re- losing their nomination because they weren't, they were, didn't deal with their illegal domestics living in their house. And so we look at this and we go, how horrible it is. But yet leaders in our country do it. They didn't think anything about it. But and now and, it's modern and slavery. Again, the point isn't that it's. It was wrong then. Right. And sometimes, I mean, it's it's tricky, too, because, like, my wife's grandparents live in India. In India, if you're middle class and up, you have servants. And, you know, one of this, her grandparents' servants got fired. And now he has a lot of trouble making money because he doesn't want to be a servant. But he has a coercion because of the economy in the area. And so, in a way... How could he, he falls in this definition that he was in domestic servitude and there was coercion keeping him in? Now he's poor. He had yeah, a and the coercion was the economy of India. Right. Yeah. He had a you know he had a comfortable life before. He decided he didn't want to be a servant, and now he is poor. 
and struggling. And so, you know, now he, he it, it's the slavery that was oppressing him. And again, it's they're saying slavery is worse now than it ever was before. Well, this was really normal. I mean, this was like very widespread until income tax that people would be domestic servants. I mean, this was incredibly widespread. If you think about it, if you're young, it's a really good it's a really good trade at certain points in your life. Somebody says, "Hey, look, I've, I'm going to go. When you come over, you'll do this work. You'll have a, you'll have this free time. I'll take care of. You'll have room and board, and you'll have food, and you'll and have then, a nicer accommodation than you did otherwise." Right, and and you say this is a great deal, but that agency was removed from the state or by the state. The state saying, "Well, you have all these tax implications of it, so it's not worth it." Right, and so it's the coercion of the state that's forcing people to then take those positions in an illegal way doesn't make it right because you are supposed to submit to the civil magistrate. Right. But then they turn around and call it domestic servitude when their policies are the ones that triggered it in the first place. Right. So forced child labor, like we've talked about some of that as we were going through this earlier. But, I mean, functionally, if a parent makes their children work, we allow provisions to allow parents to do this. But that's what that is. And you know what I mean? I mean, I make my children do work around the house. I make my children do work. There is work that they must do. And they will get spanked if they refuse to do it. And, there, you know, there will be times where they won't, you know, if they, they refuse to do any work at all, they wouldn't get dinner. We've never had a child refuse to work. We've never, I mean, we've had children who in the beginning kind of, I don't, but I mean, it's not like something every day, get up and we're going to get, I mean, that's not the issue. But in the end, fundamentally, the idea is I'm forcing my children to work. And this is just an arrogance that Americans have because we're so wealthy that we don't realize what the rest of the world is like. That because I think that you know the, when they're talking about forced child labor, they wouldn't be talking about that as much as they'd be talking about you can't go to school, you have to go work out in the field from sunup to sunrise every day. And there's still a lot of subsistence farmers in the world. Right. That that if they don't do that, they starve. Right. And they're going. It used to be that farmers they always had children because when they turned five, all of a sudden they become producers rather than consumers. Well, now we've defined that as slavery, because yes, they're working from sun up to sundown, just like their father was, just like their father was when he was five. And we go, that's forced labor, forced child labor, and that that's slavery. And no, that's how some people what they need to do to survive. And again, you're back to. If you go back more than 150 years, that's the whole world. That's not like some little selection, except for people that were very wealthy. Everybody else, they started working when they were five right. because you have to. And now we're so arrogant to think that we can impose what are our moral standards, which are not based on any standards other than our arrogance. We can now impose them on other countries. We can go that that child that that family in China they shouldn't have their child working when he's ten. Right. Well, we don't have to have our children working at their ten, which might be very good for them. But we look at it and we go, you know, this is horrible that people have to do that, and that somehow this is their sin because that's the poverty of their country, that's the situation they're in. I mean, and this this happens all the time that you go and they go, how can you do sweatshops in China, Apple? How can you do this? And all those people are thrilled to have the job because now they can eat. And we go, this is evil. You have to be really careful when you're calling something evil. If the other choice is to starve, really, is it evil or is it good? And, and the reason why I mentioned parents is because we talked earlier about the foster system. And there's this part of it where if you foster your children, 
you can't there are limits that you can't right. force them to do i mean so there's this part of where the people who've lived in the worst situations who are put into these homes they can't be they can't be broken out of it right because instead because you're sent a check every month so that that covers all the expenses and covers other things for you to deal with this child and so you make money off of the child so you don't have the child work, which hurts the child. Which means you're exploiting the child for gain, which right. means you're which a slave. Right. You're, you're, you're That's a the slaver. foster care system. Right. And we do it with the mentally handicapped because you can get a lot of money from, you know, I know people that would fight over getting custody of their mentally handicapped child because the Social Security Administration gives them a big check every month. And so they didn't care about the child, but they sure cared about custody because the one that got custody got the money. And let's be clear, because we, we hit it pretty hard. We're not saying that everyone in foster care is evil. No. We are, there are a lot of people who are in foster care who really do try to love children. I know people who are Christians who have wept and tried to figure out, can I, can, you know, some of them go, now that our children are out of the home, we can do foster care. And they can fit, and they're willing to accept those conditions because they don't have children of their own this bank. And they're kind of like going, but I'm willing, I'm, I'm willing to try to get these children out of the home so I can have them in a place where they won't be raped. There are people who right. have done much to show great care for people. But in the end, the system is incentivizing those who look at the children as payments and who look at the children as things to be exploited. So, I mean, when you look at forced child labor, you think that is horrible, and then we do nothing about it. This is virtue signaling at its best. And the State Department, you know, the last type that they put in, in their list is unlawful recruitment use of child soldiers obviously i don't think that's a big problem in the united states right but other places we look at it and we go we can't imagine because again we're setting our societal standards and saying that their society has to adjust to them and yeah the bible says you shouldn't be a soldier before you're 20 but which is not the u.s law which is not the u.s law which is 18 so we're, we're, we can't set ourselves up as the moral standard because, according to that, we use child soldiers according to the biblical standard. Yeah, yeah. and you say it's not a problem in the United States, but it's it's not the same problem that you have with, say, a guerrilla group. In Hamas or something like that. Right, that's, that's going into a neighborhood and kidnapping all the children and then – forcing them to work as soldiers at some place they're unfamiliar with. It's not that. But we'd still do this in the United States. We just call it something different. We call it gangs. But that's very much what it is. And in those cases, the, the situation is different in that often that child is making what we've – they're making the trade off and they're saying, you know what? I can go here and I can, I can have somebody who's going to treat me like a father figure. It's going to give me work to do. Going to protect me. Going to protect me. And – my trade-off is is well, I have to be the muscle. I have to, you know, I have to perform acts of violence in order to be part of this group. And sometimes, right? So I'll have these periods where I'll have to do violent things instead of a constant risk of violence done towards me. I mean, that's the gang trade-off, right? Is that you go? I have other people that protect me. That occasionally I'll have to fight with them, but otherwise they'd be beating me up every day. But I mean, you you look at. When you look at something like Use of Child Soldiers, there's a very popular movie yeah, that's conservative, the, the Patriot, that, you know, it shows, uh, you know, Mel Gibson during the time period, you know, the, the British are there, the British come, and he has his, son, he has his you know, his six-year-old or his uh, maybe eight-year-old, ten-year-old shooting. I mean, and there's this part of it where the people who are watching the movie are not going, that was an evil action. 
And so there's this part of it where it's very easy to cause a person, even in modern society, to look at a scenario and go, of course I would have my, of course it would be reasonable to have a child to fight in that scenario. He's saving his brother's life or not doing it. He would be dead. Are you saying he should, you know what I mean? And so there's this part of it where it's really, and I'm not saying that that is a common scenario at all, but there are plenty of people who look at and go, it's life or death. Am I going to give this 12-year-old a gun or am I not? And so, I mean, they they really do think that way And what they're trying to do by putting this there is they're trying to do the case where especially Muslims are incentivizing young children to be bombers and things like that. Right. And is that wrong? Absolutely. Do you need to call it modern slavery? No, that's not really the problem. And and that's (laughs) the point we're making here is the point is not – Inflating everything so you make everything seem bigger. There's already plenty of sin involved in that situation. (laughs) You don't need to create a new category that clouds the rest of it. We should talk a little bit about the movie Sound of Freedom because, you know, it's Tim Ballard's backstory basically of how he started Operation Underground Railroad. And I mean, one thing is we can't really critique the movie itself because it's a fictional movie. And, and you know, how can you critique something that's fictional? You know, I mean, it's based on a true story, but anytime there is an issue where it's, it's portraying something that is not common or it's not accurate to how things really happen, well, it's fictional and you can't complain about fiction. But the fact that you're saying it's fictional might be eye-opening to a lot of people. You know, the based on the true story is sort of, you know, that's the fine print of it. But, yeah, and there, there is, it's, you know, you go to Operation Underground Railroad, and they're much more like, this is a fictionalized story. They don't even go as loose as it's based on it. It's like, no, this was fictionalized. Right, and and, and there are some elements in here that actually happen, but most of it's fiction. And, and we're pretty, and it's, and we're pretty comfortable as Americans with the idea. Of, of approaching things from that perspective and feeling like we can get to the truth of the matter, which is which is really wrong. I mean, and I'm saying this to someone. I'm not saying, well, if you if you spend a lot of time watching them, you know which one's true. Nope. The answer is is you don't know. They're making up something right next to something else. You really don't know without going and actually looking. It is really difficult. Yeah, it's to a tell. big mistake of the church that we think truth can be derived from falsehood. Right. And, you know, they even say on their website, yeah, you know, this is not the way that, you know, sex trafficking normally happens. Um, so they, they say that. And then there's the people who have been going after them for years. They're like, well, you're saying this now, which is very convenient. And we've been saying this for years and all your marketing is not giving this impression. Operation Underground Railroad. I mean, it's worthwhile looking at what they've done. First of all, Tim Ballard said that the whole reason he did it, he was in the Department of Homeland Security. And he said that. He found it very painful. They would do these things, and they would break it up, and people would be arrested. But the Department of Homeland Security never wanted to do anything for the victims of these sex traffickers. So what he wanted to do was – so he left and said, I'll start this other thing. He did some work with them initially, still with the Department of Homeland Security, to, to try to shut down some of these things. But he said his goal was to work for the victims, that that was the big shift he was making. And so – it's interesting when you look at their website, they go, you know, how many operations did they have some involvement in? They've had greater than 400. You know, the number of lives impacted 7,000. Those are the sex trafficking victims that they've helped. Arrest with some involvement is 6,500. So if that was his goal, he, he's, you would think he'd be helping a lot more than the number of people that were arrested. But doesn't seem like he's really achieving his goal, but I think he's selling that he's achieving his goal, but he's not really achieving his goal very well. 
When he says some involvement, this doesn't mean that he had much involvement at all. He could have given them software. Right. right. It's not what is shown in the movie. Right. In the vast majority of this. Right. Operations with some involvement, he gives one of the things that the organization does, and I don't know how good the software is or anything, but they give forensic software at all kinds of places. But that means that they're taking these things and saying, okay, we've done training of this police force, and then this police force breaks something, so we had involvement. And so they're using language here that's as flexible as the language that they use about what is modern slavery, what is human trafficking. And, you know, the income, and they've only, I only found the last five years. I think the organization's been in existence for seven. But the last five years, they brought in $151 million, which is a lot of money when you look at the number of people that they've actually helped. That's a huge amount of money for the number of people they actually helped. Because, you know, as a church, we've helped 150 people in this situation, something like that. And we didn't spend nearly that much money, not even a tiny fraction of that much money. And so one thing that when you think you're sending it to stop these things to Operation Underground Railroad, you should just look at their statistics. It doesn't wash. It doesn't, I mean, it's, they're incredibly inefficient in what they say they're going to do. If that's really what his goal is, other people that were with him on raids said they thought his goal was actually, like there was a Slate article where the author of the Slate article said, I thought he was there getting video for a, for a television show. And so that's why I said at the beginning that I think you can make the argument that Tim Ballard was doing you know, human trafficking because based on that definition, he was doing human trafficking. Because if he went there to do a television show that he was pitching – that ended up being a movie later. That's that's human trafficking because he's taking advantage of people and using them and coercing them. Another thing that he does that that I find incredibly disturbing in these raids is he'll go to to a to a city where where he'll offer such an enormous amount of money that he'll get a group of girls to show up and like 40% of them will be virgins. That means they weren't trafficked before. He's not eliminating trafficking. He's creating trafficking. He's putting girls in the position where they go, is it worth it for $1,000 when I would make $20 a month? And then he goes, look at what I've stopped. Well, he's inspiring it too. This is not the way you do it. This is, I mean, it's just a classic economics problem of perverse incentives. And one of one of my favorite cases of this happened during British rule in India where they said cobras, the snakes, are such a problem. We're going to put a bounty on cobras. We will pay people to bring us cobras. And well, what happened was people, people started, started breeding and raising cobras in order to take advantage of this bounty system. And that's that completely counterintuitive or completely against the intentions of putting that bounty up, it's not like they were, it, it's not like the British government was trying to increase the supply of cobras, but by offering money for them, they did. And so there's, you know, and that's been a question of Ballard in these kinds of circumstances of like, did you actually create a market for something that didn't exist before you showed up? Right. And, and I think that you hear a lot less of his raids later. I wonder how much of that is because it's going. No, this isn't. This isn't a good idea. That 
why would the police participate in this? Because you're actually inspiring people to take a path that, that unless you were wa- walking in and saying $1,000 a girl, they wouldn't have taken the path. Not that they wouldn't have chosen to take the path if somebody else brought in $1,000, but there might be another huge number that would have chosen too. And you don't turn around and go, all these girls are sex trafficked. You go, I'm sex trafficking. Right. And you don't say, especially you don't say, I'm rescuing them. There's always rescue. Right. You're rescuing people who are slaves. If you were saying, I want to catch horrible parents who are willing to sell their children, maybe you know, maybe you have an argument there. But if someone has not been trafficked and then you convince their parents to traffic them and arrest their parents, you're not rescuing someone. And especially a lot of these cases, they don't arrest the parents. They arrest the person who went to the parents and said, I'll give you $500 if your daughter will come. A broker. A broker. So they arrest the broker, and then the girls go back to their parents. And let's be honest. Like you said before, you said if you do offer this money, you're sex trafficking. No, you're. let's go back to biblical language. You're tempting one of these little ones to break one of my commandments. And what does God say the penalty for that is? Is that it's better for you than if a millstone is hung around your neck? And so there's this part of it where, I mean, you know, you are seducing someone into sin, and God takes that really seriously. You know, and there's, you know, there's been quite a few articles, and we might put some links in the description, you know, where people are investigating, you know, the things they're doing and saying, like, a lot of these times there's not, you know, even people, like, okay, you've rescued these people, but then you're doing nothing for them after this is over. You fly back to the U.S., leave these governments that you say are corrupt to handle these people who are in prison. Obviously, you have to do that. And, you know, are they going to get out? Are they ever convicted? We never hear about, we rarely hear about them being convicted. You know, and then the, you know, the victims who you supposedly rescued, often nothing happened to them. Or they were put in some corrupt, you know, group that was already there, and then a month later they're back home. And having done lots of work in Nigeria, you look at the, you look at the, you know, NGOs, the 501c3s that are operating in these foreign countries without any accountability and think that they're actually helping these? I mean, I've, I remember I was in Nigeria once and my wife got a, an email from Voice of the Martyrs and I was in Miango where 253 people had just been killed by a Fulani raid, you know, three weeks before. And they say, we've helped 5,000 families. And I know for a fact they helped zero. We sent out reporters to investigate, and they helped zero. They didn't do anything. Brother Andrew, same thing. They said, we're doing all this. They were doing nothing. And so these are the organization that Tim Ballard is turning these girls over to. I mean, con men are all over the place, right? There's the, the, the charity organizations that once it's across the border outside the United States, it's so hard to track money that nobody does, basically. And so that's not saying that there's not some good ones, but this idea that Tim Ballard has investigated and knows that these are good ones, not a chance. Not a chance. It's way too hard. And if we're talking about con men, let's not forget, if you have, if you don't know, he's Mormon. So he's on a religion founded by con men, perpetuated by con men. Not not a, not a great – I mean, he's not a Christian. Right. And we should – you know, I'm not and, saying all Mormons are evil and con men, but we can't give you a pass for being Mormon. <laughs> what you are saying is that from a Christian perspective, Mormonism was a cult that was founded by a con man. It's founded by Justin Smith, who's a con man. And you should – ch- just for clarity, he ch- served jail time for being a con man. It's not like he wa- – it wasn't adjudicated. Right. And had child wives – just throw that in there. And and a sex trafficker. <laughs> he was. Yeah. And you shouldn't expect that a system that's founded on 
those sorts of principles isn't going to be also producing conmen down the line. And and Tim Ballard is not Mormon light. You can go on Amazon and you can look at books that he's written on American history and how Mormon principles are all woven through a, the the entire fabric of American history, even before there were Mormons. So it um, sounds very much like the Mormons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, I mean, he's very, very much into this. And it, and just recognize if you're a Christian and you've been deeply moved by this movie, what you're buying into. You you have been conned by I mean, somebody who's really good at it. I mean, and that's part of it is, is if you're sitting here going, you guys are just <laughs> killjoys, you know. I mean, it, there's this part where I remember when the movie came out. I, it's marketed for so many different angles. You know, it's it's uncovering the truth about what's really going on out there. And you look into it and you go, no, even what the way it's being characterized, even by law enforcement, is more is way more complicated than they – Even you know, by themselves. Right. I mean, so you look at the situation and you go, it's way more complicated than that. And then they go, Disney had this story and they wanted to bury it. And this small group of – you know, and people are going, it's Angel Studios and we love Wing Feather and we love all these other things. And they're doing – you know, and, and you're going, if I support it, I'm su- – and, and just understand what's going on. This is – it's all marketing. Everything that you're getting pulled into is marketing. And you want to feel good – and the truth is this: God is already winning. You don't th- these these other people. The reason you want to feel good is because you feel like Christianity is losing. God isn't losing. God is not losing. There, there's this term out there called slacktivism, and slacktivism is it's a term for how you can have the feeling of doing something while you're not actually doing it. So, so an example of this would be like buy nothing day. It's a way that you can react against consumerism by making no purchases, you know, and that's how you're reacting against capitalism. Well, you're not actually doing anything, but you can feel good about doing nothing. This is kind of the same thing. You know, you look out there and you're like, oh, man, look at how terrible Hollywood is. My options are to go to this horrible feminist Barbie movie. I could go to Oppenheimer with the horrible scenes in it. Or I could go watch this thing. And I can participate in the culture wars by watching a movie. And 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 it's and, and you're being sold something. And you've and and you're here for it and you're there to buy it. And that's. And that's not good for you. And it beat Dial of Destiny. And it stuck. I mean, I mean, I found myself at times going, yeah, I really have Wait a minute. This is not, you know, like, you know what I mean? I mean, that's how easy it is. It's so alluring. It's so tempting. And all of the lies are. I don't, you know, we're, we're, we're conquering child trafficking out there, but we're not. No, you're not. You're we're not, not even touching the sin. And we're not thinking about it. And that's really, I mean, in the end, the answer is, is, you need to change the way you think about God's work. You need to change your, the way you think about what God would have Christians to do. It is how can you destroy sin in your family, in your church, in your life, and in in how can you see these things in the world? This And God is, God's people are already doing this. And the question is, is you need to be, I mean, question, <laughs> the, the answer for you is, is you need to be doing this too. And what bothers me most about it is not that somebody goes, oh, I decided not to go to Barbie. I'm going to go to Sound of Freedom and spend my 10 bucks there. I have no idea how much a movie costs now, but whatever a movie costs, $20, $50, whatever it is. What's really disturbing to me is I'm sure their fundraising has gone through the roof. Right. And so these people that think they're giving to a Christian cause, 
They're thinking they're trying to impact the world for Christ. First of all, they're giving money to idolatry, which is Mormonism. And they think Catholicism because it's Catholic filmmakers. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Not surprising. But, and they, they think they're doing this for the kingdom of God and they're not at all. And they think that that money is going to be spent to do this raid. But here's what their, their statement is of what they actually do. This is based on their legal form that they filed, the tax form. And they've abbreviated it to make it sound more pithy now. But then in what they've actually done, they keep using this statement. And so it says not to do things, right? It's to shine a light worldwide on the global epidemic of child sex, assist law enforcement to seek justice for those who violate children. While our focus remains on children, we assist survivors of all ages to bring them safety and healing. We place survivors on a path to recovery by partnering with vetted aftercare providers or by placing them with families. What they mostly do is talk about it. It's important to recognize that, that they're spending $10 million, $11 million in Africa to talk about it. They're not doing much. They're talking about it. And that fits in here. And they do do a little bit, but that's what the majority of their money is. And and I've been to a, a hotel in Lagos. And Ibis Hotel, which is a European brand. And so most of the hotels I stay at in Nigeria, not many Americans stay at. So it wouldn't apply there. But you go to this one and you walk into their elevator and they have this big poster about stopping child sex trafficking. And the first time I looked at that poster, my immediate reaction is, wow, that is a huge ad for child sex trafficking. Because I know you could go up to a lot of people in that hotel. They're like, you know, the poster says, talk to anybody in the hotel about it. Virtually anybody that you talk to in that hotel. And you said, really, is there child sex trafficking going around? Where, where is that going? Where's that happening? And you could, you could make the situation about getting a, an underage girl. Right. There's no question it was an ad. But yet they think they're doing this good work. And I'm not saying that was from Operation Underground Railroad. I'm just saying... Some of the promotion produces it. You think that you can be avenger of God's wrath some other way. God actually appointed somebody. The right thing to do is hold your civil magistrates accountable to elect the right people to work for that direction. The right thing to do is to cause the gospel to be preached and the truth of who God is and the truth of his judgment, the truth of the righteousness of his ways. That's how these things get fixed. They don't get fixed by paying somebody who's not doing what they're what they've been given to do by God to do it. But yet, like you said, people feel better because they've sent their check. And so you see a lot of things that the church should be doing that it doesn't do. And some of that, a lot of that is laziness rather than lack of funds. But then you see churches that are spending funds on things that, why are they spending funds on that? It is not this guy's job to be the avenger of God's wrath. God appointed somebody for that. And, you know, another thing you can do is something that um, Ballard, I th- which, you know, in a, in a good way he talked about it and was even attacked for, uh, which is, you know, kill lust in your own life and stop using pornography. Because, you know, that's, you know, that is another area that we haven't talked about uh, where children are, you know, trafficked. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it is a serious thing. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's not just the... You know, as Christians, we can say it's not the the big issue isn't just the children, the stuff involving children is all of it. And, you know, it's a, obviously a huge problem in America, a huge problem in the church. Um, and, you know, that's something that he did, you know, talk about. So, I mean, there's a, 
some other stuff that we probably aren't going to talk about in much detail. But, you know, there, you know, a lot of it's like origin story and some of the big things, even the stuff the movie was based on. When people have gone and looked at the actual court record for the people who were arrested, it doesn't match what he said. He makes his own role a lot bigger. He makes the the uh, like the girl involved much younger. Uh, where there's one one of his big stories where she, he says that they rescued her. In fact, she escaped on her own. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that just doesn't hold up. And it's the big stories he tells over and over again. And they're, you know, there's a, they happened, something happened, but he lies about them all the time. And so why are you going to trust someone who's just lying all the time about what he happened? Who knows what stories are going to come out soon because he recently resigned from all these ministries he was a part of because um, of some HR complaint. You know, there's not much out there about it right now. There's multiple HR complaints other than that, but yeah, there's not right. much out so, there. So, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Probably nothing good. I mean, and honestly, we read the statement that they, they did where they said their goal was to shine a light on the global issue. And, and when we first – when we were talking about doing this episode, one of my concerns is that people would hear – you know, they would go, well, I mean, just doing that is enough. And that's part of the reason why we spent so much time trying to talk about the specifics of trafficking, the specifics of all the things. So you could understand that, I mean, there's a part of it – I mean – Tim Ballard is interested in you thinking that sex trafficking is one of the biggest things in the world. That human trafficking is is pervasive, and is it, he wants you. It's useful for him for if you think that you should be scared that your child is going to be snatched tomorrow and going to be taken and forced into something like that. That is useful, and so there's this part of it where I mean, his desire to shine a light on things. If you shine the light on it, you would actually see that. It needs to be dealt with in a very different way than it's being dealt with. It needs to be actually dealt with at a much more granular level. It needs to be dealt with by people's attitude towards sin changing, by people's thoughts about what is sin and where sin comes from and what causes it. All those things have to change for those things to actually be dealt with in a meaningful way. So one of the reasons we wanted to spend all of this time talking and, and, and really – I don't have it out for the movie other than the movie is a case study in in how Christians are susceptible to being afraid of things they shouldn't be afraid of and being gullible. And you, if you open up your Bible and you say, what is a Christian really supposed to be? They're not supposed to be the one who's susceptible to fear. They're not supposed to be the one who's gullible. They're supposed to be the one that fears God and God only, and they're supposed to be the ones that are wise. And... Everything that we're talking about, really, it's not the movie as so much as the reactions to it that are concerning to us. And that's where we want to say, you know, Christians think, you know, take take this captive and don't be taken captive by your culture. The Bible says it's the truth that shall set you free. We think that freedom will come from all these problems in the world by manipulation, by by exposure, by all these other things. But the reality is a lot of these things happen because of corruption, government corruption and churches, corruption and people. And a lot of these things happen because the gospel isn't preached. Truth isn't known. The way you stop it is by truth to be made known because that's what sets people free. And the church is chasing after these other things instead of doing what it's been given to do by God. And that's what will actually fix the problems. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.